Please turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're continuing going through the, dis- the disciples' prayer. So we've looked at it last, week, last two weeks in Luke, 1 through, Luke 11, 1 through 4. Now we're continuing as we look at verses 5 through 13. And I, uh, I just I haven't seen the PowerPoint yet. This is nice. I've, I've, uh, Brittany is working part-time at the church now. Is Brittany in here? She's in her somewhere, I'm sure I saw her. And, and uh, whenever she was interviewing for the job, she said she liked all of our communication except my sermon slides. And so she got a, a new job, and uh, I think she's done a good job there. I like this. I like it very, and I like not doing it myself. Um, so, uh, and Mike, Mike helping her too. Very good. So thanks, guys. Uh, let's stand together. Let's read God's Word together. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, as we continue. And actually, we're going to start in verse 1 of Luke chapter 11, get the whole context here as we continue to look at how we should pray to our Heavenly Father. Verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who, re- who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of His Word together this morning. Let's pray boldly to God as we look at His Word together. And Father, our request to you today would be that you would open your Word to us, that you would be glorified as we talk through it, that our hearts would be convicted challenged, and your Holy Spirit would change us. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I am not a person who enjoys asking other people for things. I'm not a very bold person in that aspect of relationships. About 15 or 20 years ago, you know, they started coming out with these these cards that you use at supermarkets and stores and uh, like reward cards, and you take these cards to the supermarket, and they'd They'd scan them, and they'd give you like this little discount, but then they'd kind of keep track of how much you were spending on different things, and what you were buying, and when you were buying it, and that never bothered me all that much. It didn't bother me that the store knew that I liked Crest toothpaste instead of Colgate toothpaste. Some people kind of got up in arms for that, if you remember, but it didn't really bother me. But recently, uh, there's been a new trend in this area of commerce that, for a person like me, I find deeply disturbing. I'll go into a, and this, maybe this has been happening longer than this, but within the last year, it's happened to me a couple times. I go into a supermarket, and I, uh, I 
pick up this little item that I want to purchase, and then I, I don't want to bother anybody, so I just go to the, the self-checkout, which I think is, a, by the way, a, ma- a marvelous development in shopping. Uh, and I, So I go to the self-checkout, and I'm just not going to bother when I'm just going to purchase this product, and so I, I don't have a reward card or any type of those things, and so I, I start trying to purchase this product, and I don't know if there's some sort of alarm or something that goes off in this machine, but this, this, the lady that's supervising the self-checkout will realize this person doesn't have a reward card, and she'll go over to me, and she'll say, excuse me, sir, do you have a reward card? And I'll say, no, I do not have a reward card, and she'll say, hold on a second, and I think, no, no, please don't, and, and, and well-intentioned, extremely well-intentioned, and, and, and I appreciate the attitude behind this, but for someone like me, this is a little mortifying. Then she will call out to the rest of the shoppers around me, excuse me, this pathetic individual does not have a reward card. Will someone please take mercy on his soul and save him 15 cents? And so, shamed into her statement, other people will start coming forward. I want to shout out, no, I don't need your reward card. I'm independently wealthy. I'm going to pay the 15 cents out of my kid's college fund. We're fine, you know. And I, I again, I appreciate the spirit of the, of the request. For most people, it would be a fine thing. For me, I, I, I just feel very embarrassed and, and shamed by it. I need to get a reward card. That's the bottom line, I guess. But sometimes it's extremely important to be bold, isn't it? There are some situations in which uh, shamefulness is, is not an option. We must be bold in our relationships with others. I was reading an article in the, the Millbank Quarterly. It's a healthcare professionals magazine. And it was talking about how the healthcare industry needs to, to learn some things from what the aviation industry has learned. In the aviation industry, if you look at the flight crew, there's some familiarity that the, the uh, lower members of the flight crew have with the pilots and the people in charge. There's this familiarity, this first name basis. And what the people were saying is this, this first name basis, this kind of uh, camaraderie that they've developed within the aviation industry allows people to feel bold as they talk to their superiors about what's going on within the, the plane. And they said the same thing needs to happen in the, the healthcare industry. There needs to be this, this sense of, of comfort in under medical staff approaching senior medical staff and saying, hey, excuse me, you're about to amputate the wrong leg. You know, they need to be able to, to be bold as they talk. Sometimes boldness is absolutely essential. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Jesus here in this passage is calling us to boldness. And many of us have a problem with boldness in our prayers. We pray timid prayers. We do this for many reasons. Some of us pray timid prayers because we we don't think boldly. We kind of live our our mundane, everyday, ordinary lives. And as we live these ordinary lives, which there's nothing wrong with that, we we go up, we get up, and we we go to work, or we go to school, or we work at home, and and we engage in these things that we do that are kind of mundane. We work with spreadsheets or work with on our homework or we uh, are engaged in, in cleaning or whatever it is that we do on our everyday basis. It seems kind of everyday and ordinary. And then we go home and we watch the latest reality show or we, we read a book or we play a video game. We do these everyday ordinary activities and we don't think deeply about the spiritual significance of ordinary things. And because we're not thinking about the spiritual deeper significance of our everyday lives, we live these mundane lives not thinking about their deeper significance. And so we don't ask God boldly, for assistance 
in these things that we're doing. We don't recognize the significance of them. Sometimes we're, we're timid prayers because we're afraid of what if God says no to this request or, or will God really have the ability to answer? We doubt his goodness, we doubt his ability, and so we don't pray boldly. Sometimes we're just simply lazy. We don't recognize the power of prayer. And so we recognize that there is great spiritual significance to the things that are going on in our lives. We recognize our need for God's assistance in certain areas, but we lack belief that prayer is the means that God has ordained in order to bring about great, bold things. And so, again, we don't pray boldly. For these and a host of other reasons, we don't pray boldly. This morning, as we look at Luke chapter 11, remember where we've been. One of Jesus' disciples, as he's seen Jesus pray, has come to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. And so Jesus teaches them the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. And he tells them, first of all, you begin your prayer by exalting God's name, by calling his name to be glorified, by saying, God, I want your name to be glorified in, in all things and be above all things. That's what I desire, and I desire for your kingdom to come. And as your kingdom comes, I, I want it to obliterate my kingdom and all other kingdoms, and I want your kingdom to be established now, and I look forward to its establishment in the future. And then as we pray vertically, we also pray horizontally, Jesus says. We, we pray that, that God would provide us with our daily provisions. We pray that God would forgive us of our, our sins as we forgive others, and we pray that God, as we recognize our frail condition, we pray that God would deliver us from the evil that we're naturally inclined to do. That's the content of what we're to pray. That's what we are to pray. Now the question becomes, how do we pray it? If that's the content of what we're supposed to pray, these, that outline of the disciples' prayer, how do we engage in praying to God? Do we approach God uh, casually? Do we kind of flippantly say, hey God, uh, Here's a couple things I'd want. If you could get to that, I would greatly appreciate it. Or do we kind of approach God occasionally? We kind of build up a bunch of things and say, okay, I'm going to make a list. I don't want to bother God. I know he's busy running the universe. And so I'm going to make a list. And when the time is right, then I'm going to bring all these things to his attention. Or do we pray boldly and confidently as we approach God's throne of grace? And Jesus is going to say that we pray boldly. In fact, here's the, the statement that I want us to think about as we think about verses 5 through 13. You and I are to pray boldly to a gracious, heavenly, a generous Heavenly Father. You and I are to pray boldly to a generous Father. As we're thinking about how you and I are to approach God's throne of grace, let's think about this. You and I are to pray boldly to a generous Father. Jesus is going to give two illustrations in verses 5 through 13. The first illustration begins in verse 5, and we're going to see it relates to boldness. The second illustration begins in verse 11, and it re relates to God's generosity, his graciousness as our Father. Well, let's look first at the first part of the statement, pray boldly. And if you don't already have uh, your, your attention focused on the text, let me encourage you to do that. Turn to verse 5 of Luke chapter 11. We see that, first of all, we are to pray boldly. Pray boldly. Jesus has just finished talking to the disciples, 
about the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, what they're to pray. And it says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And so the, the picture here is this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's just told them what they're to pray. And now he says, and guys, which of you, which of you would, would go at midnight to your friend? And the disciples are, are as Jesus begins saying that, are thinking, well, man, I, I certainly would not do that. There are certain social norms that we're to practice. And going to my friend at midnight and bothering his sleep is not one of those social norms that I'm to follow. That's not part of how we interact with one another. The same is true in our culture, right? There's kind of a, a time that, you know, after this time, I, I don't call people. I don't bother people. Which of you at Bethany Community Church, if you had a friend, assuming you have a friend, would call them at, at midnight? Well, probably not very many of you, unless it's a, you know, maybe that's the thing you do with your friends. But don't call me at midnight if it's not very important. I used to have a kid in the youth group that would call me. This was back in, in Texas. He would call me like, one or two o'clock in the morning sometimes. And one Sunday he came up to me and said, Daniel, Whitney's right there with me, he says, Daniel, thank you so much for talking to me on Friday night. I, I know I shouldn't have called you at 1.30, but, but thank you for that advice you gave me. It was, it was, it was beautiful. And he walks away and he says, what did you say to him? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't even know he'd called me. I can't remember this conversation at all. I hope it was good. Which of you, Jesus says, which one of you guys would, would bother your friend at midnight? And the disciples are thinking, well, I certainly wouldn't do that. And then Jesus goes on and says, here are the circumstances. Which of you would go to your friend at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have, here's the problem, I have nothing to set before him. And as Jesus says that, some of his disciples are thinking, oh, now there's a quandary. Which of you would go to your friends at midnight? Well, I wouldn't do that. Now, here's the situation. You have a friend, another friend that's arrived on a journey, and you have nothing to set before him. We've talked before in the Gospel of Luke about how important hospitality is, haven't we? In the Jewish culture, the first century Jewish culture, there were incredible obligations that a host had toward those who were his guests. There's a near contemporary of Jesus, Josephus, who was writing a history of the Jews, in the late first century. And he was kind of defending them to the Romans, and he was talking about their practices, and he was saying how, how, hospi how hospitable the Jews were. In fact, he says, we, we've learned this from our, our ancient times, and he talks about how Abraham was a gracious host to the angels. Remember that story in Genesis? And he says, and, and Abraham's nephew, Lot, learned generosity from his uncle Abraham, and Lot was generous. Then he goes on and he gives this example. Maybe you remember this story from the book of Genesis. Remember, Lot was entertaining these two guests that Abraham had entertained, these angels. And he, they came into the city of Sodom and, and Lot brings them into his home. And then the men of the city come knocking on his door and say, give us these men that we can abuse them. And Josephus says, and Lot, and the Bible says this as well, and Lot offered to give his own daughters to be abused instead of his guests. And Josephus holds that up as a positive example of how seriously Jews took hospitality. So now there's this guy, Jesus says, this host who has a neighbor. And as his neighbor comes to him, and this host realizes, I have no food. And even though it's midnight, and I don't want to do this, and this is going to cause me shame, 
to go and, and I have to ask this from my friend. This obligation that I have as a host is greater than my obligation to look good to my friend. And so I'm going to go late at night and I'm going to knock on the door and I'm going to say, friend, not just give me one loaf of bread, which would have been sufficient for one person, but give me three loaves so that I can extravagantly provide for this guest in my home. What does the text say next? Again, we're thinking about this first part of the sentence, praying boldly. It says, verse 7, says, and he will answer from within. This is the neighbor. Don't bother me. Now notice, the, the host began with the word friend. Hey, buddy, friend, can I have some loaves? The neighbor doesn't return with the word friend, does he? Don't bother me. Go away. Why? Well, because I'm in bed. My children are with me in bed. The door is shut. You know, this door would have had a, a bar going through these rings, and it would be very cumbersome to, to unlock the door. They, he was probably staying in this one room, kind of like a peasant house. Uh, he would have been on a mat, on the, the same mat as his children. The whole family would have been sleeping there. Uh, last night, uh, Pastor Ben said, hey, Daniel, why don't you and your family all sleep together so you can have some good illustrations of what it's like to all sleep on the same bed. I said, no. No, I, I, I think I have a good feel for how this goes. You know how it is if you sleep, if you've ever slept with a sibling or, or you have a spouse that, that sleeps in the same bed with you or you, you've, you've slept with your parents sometimes or something, you all sleep on that same bed. One person's discomfort causes everyone discomfort, right? Whitney, uh, the last couple nights, has been uh, accidentally, I'm like 75 percent. 75% sure it's accidental, accidentally kicking me in her sleep, right? She's had some sort of mosquito bite, and she, so maybe 60%, 60% sure it's accidental. And it, it keeps on waking me up, you know. I feel sorry for me. Uh, her discomfort is causing me not to sleep well. You can imagine having a bunch of children, you're all there in the bed, and you're thinking, boy, if I, if I get up and I, and I get up and I take the bar off the door, it's going to wake everybody up, and then we're all going to have to get back to bed. And Jesus says, the friendship that this neighbor has with this guy who's a host isn't great enough to compel him to meet this person's need. But again, look at the text. This is the key part of the passage, I believe. Verse 8. In fact, let me, let me just highlight the end of verse 7 again. Remember, he says, I cannot get up and give you what? Give you anything, nothing. Forget about it. Not one morsel, three loaves, nothing. I'm not giving you nothing. 8, verse 8. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. In other words, his, his claim of friendship isn't enough to compel this neighbor to get up and give this, this host anything to give to this other friend that's, on a, that's arrived from a journey. He says, but because of what? His impudence. He will rise and give him what he needs. What does that word impudence mean? Impudence mean. One, one commentator says this, it refers to this word, it's the only time it occurs in the New Testament, it refers to a disregard for social conventions, a, a shamelessness. One person says it's a combination of boldness and shamelessness. The stress here is on the boldness or nerve of the request. This petitioner has a lot of nerve. And because the need is so great for him to be a gracious host, He's, real, he's willing to be shameless in his request to this neighbor who's asleep. It's incredible boldness. I was reading a, a blog by a teacher, a college professor, 
and she was writing about this, this student. She said, I, I had the most incredible experience this last week. It's the last week of the semester, the very last week of the semester. And she says, I received an email from a student. And this student requested me to add him to the course that had one week left in it. He said, I've bought all the books and I'm willing to read them all. Please add me to this course. She said she appreciated the last. I was in a grocery store one all, all of grocery store illustrations this morning. I was in a grocery store one time. This was uh, when I was 18, 19 years old. had just moved out of home and was uh, staying in an apartment and uh, going to college and was uh, buying groceries and wasn't very worldwide yet. And there was a couple in front of me at the checkout store again late at night. And uh, as they were as they were purchasing their, their groceries, there was a problem, and I couldn't quite figure out what the problem was, but as the voices between the couple and the cashier, person running the cashier got, got uh, a little louder, I realized that this couple was trying to pay with a check, and they had no identification to, to confirm that they were the people that were on the check. And I said, we've, we've lost our wallet, la, 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 la. Then, in an incredible act of boldness, they turned back toward me and said, will you pay for our groceries? And I said, yes. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I thought I was being a nice guy. So, well, I, of course I'll, I'll pay for your groceries. You know? Well, then, uh, now here's boldness for you. They looked at the person at the register and they said, go ahead and add $50 cash to that. I wish I could tell you I said no, but in the incredible, just unbelievable boldness of these people, I said yes, but they gave me the check. Stolen. Surprise, right? Boldness. There's an incredible boldness to some people. They have the, the willingness to, to put themselves out there and, and shamelessly ask for things that, that no person in their right mind would ask for. But in a positive sense, the Christian approaches God and says, I know I have no right to ask for these things, but because of the enormity of the situation, I'm going to ask anyway because of my great need. Pray boldly. Pray boldly. And then we see this. Jesus applies the message in verse 9. He's, he kind of goes from, from lesser to greater. Verse 9, he says, And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. He's taking this story of this bold neighbor, this bold host, and he says, and I tell you, in the same way you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In other words, a person who, the believer needs to be asking. The, person, the believer needs to be seeking, acting upon this request. And the believer needs to continue in asking, continue to knock and persist in prayer. That's the boldness that the believer is to have as he or she approaches God. Is Jesus saying that God is like a grouchy neighbor? God's up there in the universe, and he's got a lot of things going on. He's controlling the cosmos, and, and uh, if you want God to pay attention to you, you better knock hard. And if you knock enough and you annoy him enough, he'll get up and say, fine, 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 here you go, here's grace. No, what Jesus is saying is, here's something that's true in the human realm, and if this is true of what a grouchy neighbor will do, how much more will God do for you if you ask him boldly? 
God is a generous God. We're going to see that in just a moment. And God's desire to meet our needs is great for his own glory. And if you and I are willing to approach a neighbor at an inconvenient time, if the occasion warrants, how much more should you and I be willing to approach our Heavenly Father? Thursday night, really, uh, actually early Thursday morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning, I hear this little alarm sound going off, and I go down into the basement and realize that, that the, the sump pump is broken. You know, it's not working, and that's the, the water level is rising, and my time is short. <laughs> 4 o'clock in the morning is not a normal time that I wake up my wife. Not a, not a very nice thing to do. But what happened? The occasion warranted the waking. And she understood that eventually. There's an emergency, a need. Whitney, please come help me. She jumps out. Okay, we got it fixed. What does it mean to pray boldly, practically? What does that mean to pray boldly? Some people say, yeah, pray boldly. Yeah, pray boldly. Be like this, this neighbor. Pray boldly. God, God, give me this pay raise. I'm bold. Big pay raise. God, give me this promotion. No, no, no. Give me that. I want the presidency of the company. I'm bold. I'm praying big. I want a big house. I, 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 want, I want big things to happen to me. I want to pray bold. That's how some people interpret bold prayers, right? I, I, now, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to pray for a promotion or things like that, but let me suggest to you that there's something much deeper that is meant by praying boldly in Scripture. Let me give you some, some practical suggestions as to how you pray bold. Let me give you four suggestions. We're going to spend some time here looking at some, some Bible verses because I want us to think biblically about what praying boldly means. The first thing that I think you need to do in order to pray boldly is you need to, number one, realize your need. And if you're taking notes, just there's going to be four things here under this idea of praying boldly, the first part of the sentence. And I want you to there are four things here, and there's a lot of Bible verses. You may not be able to get them all down. I'll try to say the references so you can at least look these up later. Number one, realize your need. In 2 Chronicles 32, Hezekiah is ill. and Or actually, first of all, in verse 25, uh, Hezekiah is proud. King Hezekiah is proud. And the wrath of God is coming upon him and Judah, we see in verse 25 of 2 Chronicles 32. Verse 26 says, But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of God did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had this, this pride, believing that he had brought about the changes in, of, in, uh, in the country as, as king, and he was uh, proud in himself. God's wrath begins to come, and so King Hezekiah rightly recognizes his need to beseech God for his grace. If you and I are going to pray boldly, we must first recognize how dire the situation that we find ourselves is, find ourselves in is. We must recognize that we have a great need for our Heavenly Father to come with his divine aid. And until a person recognizes their need, they're not going to be a bold prayer. The second thing you and I must do is we must pray for things, listen to this, we must pray for things that we have no right to receive. If you're going to pray boldly, you need to pray for things that in and of yourself you have no right to receive. And your only basis for the reception of these things is the fact that God has said it's okay to pray for this. And God in his grace has said that he'll provide for it. For example, you can pray to be an 
an instrument for gospel proclamation. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Pray for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Acts 4.29, the apostles pray, God help your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. That's Acts 4.29. 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. That is a bold request. You have no right to pray to God that your mouth, our sinful nature, could, could be an instrument to be used to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You have no right to proclaim that. Pray for it anyway, because God has told you to. That you have a, a right to do that on the basis of God telling you you may. But it's a bold request. Well, another thing we can pray for, another thing that we can pray for is pray for unity. We don't have a right to have unity, but what does Jesus say in John 17, 20, 21? He says, I, I do not ask for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. Ephesians, that's, that's again John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, praying for unity. Listen to what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Ephesians three fourteen, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through this, his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Who in the world has the right to pray that God's fullness would indwell them. That is an incredibly audacious request. Pray it. Pray that God would fill you with his knowledge, that you'd understand the height, width, depth, length of his love. You'd be filled with the fullness of Christ. Pray, realizing your need, Pray boldly for things you have no right to receive. And pray for, for big things. Number three, pray for big things. Colossians 1.9 tells us to pray that God would help us understand his will. He says, we pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's Colossians 1.9. Pray for everyone, Ephesians 6.18. Ephesians 6.18 says, we make supplication for all the saints. Pray for workers for ministry. Pray for workers in, in ministry, uh, Matthew 3.8. Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're praying for big things. We're praying for this, this big ministry and asking that God would provide the laborers for it. Are you praying that for your church? I'm praying. I'm praying for children's ministries workers lately. That is a big dream of, of all these people involved in helping our children's ministry on a Sunday morning, especially during our, our children's church hours, so that, so that more people could be in, engaged in, in worship and on a Sunday morning as well, and we could also meet the needs of our children. That's a big, we need 20 extra workers. It's a great opportunity. I'm praying for that. 
I'm praying for other ministry workers that God would provide us the laborers to do this ministry. It's an audacious request. Pray it. Pray for salvation. Romans 10.1, Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. We pray boldly as we pray for big spiritual needs to be met. Finally, as we think about praying boldly, we not only realize the need, we not only pray for things we have no right to receive, we not only pray for big things, but we're praying persistently. We're praying persistently. We pray and we pray and we continue to pray and then we continue to pray. Jesus says that this person who receives is a person who's asked, who's sought, who's knocked. This idea of seeking God, I believe, is a very important one for us to ponder as we think about persistent prayer. Deuteronomy 4.29, again, we're going to do a lot of verses this morning. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, You will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you will search after him with all your heart, with all your soul. Psalm 27, 8, you have said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Acts, Acts 17, 27, says that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet God is actually not far from each one of us. You and I are to pray boldly. We're to pray confidently for big things. We're to pray persistently. On our own, we have no right to petition the sovereign God of the universe for such things. But Jesus says, do it. Do it. Pray boldly. These are bold prayers. This isn't milk toast Christianity. Bold, confident prayer. So that's the first part of this sentence, pray boldly, verses 5 through 10. Now let's look at the last half of, of the statement. We pray boldly who? To a, a generous father, verses 11 through 13. What does Jesus say? He begins verse 11 the same way that he began verse 5. Which one of you? Now he says, which one of you dads? Which one of you fathers? Which one of you fathers, if, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Which one of you dads, if your dad said, hey dad, uh, I would like a fish. Uh, here you go, son, here's a snake. <laughs> dad, may I, please, may, I, may, may I please have an egg? Here you go, here's a scorpion. What sick dad does that? What dad, whose son or, or daughter asks for provision for life, gives them something to harm them? Not a good father. Even evil fathers, even sinful fathers, recognize, usually, their need to provide for the basic needs of life for their children. And Jesus, again, gives an argument from lesser to greater. If it's true, he said, remember earlier, he said, if a grouchy neighbor will provide for you, how much more a loving father? Now he says, if, a, if an evil dad will give you what you need for life and give a good gift, 
how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus has just told us to pray boldly. Now, what type of person are we praying boldly to? Are we praying boldly to this, this capricious God that sometimes will want to give us things and sometimes won't? Are we praying to a, a God that's inattentive to us and, and will sometimes uh, give us what we want if we, we ask hard enough or if we, we pray loudly enough? Or are we praying to a God who is a generous God and has a desire to provide these things to us? And Jesus is saying, even more so than an earthly father who's wicked desires to meet the needs of his children, so even more than that, you have a heavenly father who will give generously the Holy Spirit to you. God only gives, this is important, God only gives good gifts. God gives us heaven. God gives us his son. God gives us us healing. God gives lavishly. In fact, in Romans chapter 11, the doxology there, what does Paul say? Paul says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Verse 35 of Romans 11. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? It's a ridiculous notion. Who has been able to give God a gift that he could be repaid, that God would owe them? God is the God who gives everything. There's nothing that that we have that's not God's. God is the, the one who lavishes gifts upon us. He's a generous father. And so you and I, as we boldly approach God, are not boldly approaching a God who has no desire to hear us, who we're kind of a pain to listen to. We're approaching boldly a God who wants to lavish his grace on us. Pray boldly, Jesus says, to a generous heavenly Father. And what does he want to give us? He says he wants to give us his greatest gift, the gift of of the Holy Spirit. He's excited to give us the Holy Spirit. He jealously yearns for him to dwell within us, James tells us. Who is this Holy Spirit? As you think about praying boldly, I want you to think about who the, the Holy Spirit is that God gives to us. For those of us who are believers, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Ephesians tells us that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit is to to guide us and to influence us and to affect our actions. The Holy Spirit is God living inside of us. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, Who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. God himself lives inside of us as the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit is that is, is he who brings about new life. Titus 3.5 says that uh, he, he brought us, uh, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of, in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, we, are, we impart the, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. God gives us the Holy Spirit that allows us to know his word and know his will and know how to live our lives. Asking for the Holy Spirit is a bold, audacious request. The Spirit labors in the process of our sanctification. Romans 8.11 says, 
the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is, is He who gives the church spiritual gifts. And as we're praying boldly to a Heavenly Father, we're praying to a, a Heavenly Father that is generous and is going to give the church His Spirit and allow the church to do the things that He's called the church to do, to meet needs, to proclaim the gospel, to provide fellowship, to create unity. There is nothing more bold that you and I can ask for. Now, before I, before I close here, there's, there's a nagging question I had. And, and maybe you're having it too. There's, there's probably lots of nagging questions you have. Um, write them down. It's good. Send me an email. But one nagging question I had was, okay, if it's true that I'm to pray boldly to a, a generous father who wants to, to give me things and, and wants to provide for me, why does he sometimes wait, right? If he's this, this loving Heavenly Father that I'm to pray boldly to and, and, and approach him boldly, why does he sometimes wait to give me that which I need? These things he's told me to pray for. If he's so eager to give it to me, give it to me already. Now, if you've been in our church long enough, you know the answer. If I begin a question, why does God, blank, 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 you, you say, for his glory. <laughs> That's like the Sunday school answer. The, the answer is always Jesus or the Bible. When I ask a question, why does God, da, 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 for his glory, right? Okay, so let me, let me re-ask it for, for you, you smart people. Uh, how does God get glorified by waiting? How does God receive greater glory by, by waiting around to answer my prayer requests? Let me suggest a, a couple ways that God receives glory as he waits to answer our requests. One, I believe that he receives greater glory as you and I continue to oppose our, as we, you and I continue to humble ourselves. Prayer requires humility. And as I continue humble myself as I ask God for his grace, God receives greater glory. As I decrease, he increases. I believe also that God receives greater glory as he waits to answer our prayer requests sometimes because we, we focus on the request and we recognize the, the value in that request if it's a, a good and godly request. Uh, last week, uh, my son Austin uh, came to me right before he's going to bed. And he said, Dad, he said, he did, he did, he goes, hey, dad. He does hey, dad thing. Hey, dad. Hey, Austin. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to ask you if I can play on the computer, if I can play a computer game. Okay, thanks for letting me know. I go to bed. 5.45 in the morning. Hey, dad. Hey, dad. Dad. Hey, dad. What? Can I play on the computer? <laughs> yes. The kid's been thinking about it all night. He's waiting for like that first ray of sunshine. I think it's morning now. And as he thought about the, that, 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 that request had value to him, didn't it? It wasn't some flippant, hey, dad, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Okay, I can do that. Fine, great. He thought about it. It had value. As God delays his answers to us, that which we're requesting takes on greater value. We recognize the, the value of it. I believe God also causes us to wait sometimes because it causes us to meditate on him and his character. We think about him, the one we're asking this for, and it causes us to recognize if this is or is not something that's according to his character. It also causes us to, to see needs met 
and as we've spent more time thinking about it and praying for it, we realize it's only God who could have met that need. And it causes him to receive greater glory. It causes us to learn about his plans more fully as we see them unfold slowly. Lastly, lastly, I think sometimes God delays in answering our prayers. Even as we pray boldly to a generous Heavenly Father, God sometimes delays answering our prayers because he loves to hear us pray. He loves to hear his children pray to him and ask him for things. So let's do so now. Father, we thank you that right now we can confidently approach you. We approach you not timidly as those who are under your wrath, but boldly, not because that we've escaped your wrath on our own merit, but because of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf, and that through faith in him alone, we can stand before you. We pray, Father, that you would cause us to seek you more diligently and boldly in prayer, that our faithfulness in prayer would bring you greater glory. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.